Moses is told by the Almighty, carve on your own two tablets of stone. This second set was painstakingly crafted by Moses through human effort. And only then did God write the words of the Decalogue upon them. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 28, Moses in Berlin. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In the Gemälde Gallery Museum in Berlin hangs Rembrandt's Moses. A title for the painting is given in German, Moses zerschmetter die Tabletten die Gesetze, Moses shatters the tablets of the law. Interpreted this way, the artist is giving us Moses at the moment of the Israelites' greatest sin, their act of idolatry, that brought about the shattering of the covenant. But there is another way of understanding this work, as recreating not ancient Israel's egregious act, but rather the greatest moment in Moses' life. Moses ascends Sinai to receive the tablets, stone symbols of the covenant binding Israel to the Torah. And as he disappears into the mists of the mountain, Israel grows nervous, then desperate. Chapter 32 And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Come, let us make us a God who shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we know not what has become of him. A golden calf is created and served, and the Almighty is enraged. Verse 8 and 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people that thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have dealt corruptly. They have turned aside quickly from the path which I commanded them. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. We must, ladies and gentlemen, take note of the possessive pronouns at work here. God informs Moses that Israel is thy people, your people, rather than God's. You, Moses, he is saying, brought your people out of the land of Egypt. Your people has sinned. But as we know, if there was anyone who could have made a claim of Israelite disaffiliation, it was Moses. Moses, who never experienced slavery, who never grew up in servitude and who had never asked to lead Israel. It was the Almighty who made use of his own bond to Israel in order to draft Moses into service. I am, he said at the burning bush, the God of thy father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses, in his response to God on Sinai, then takes the possessive pronouns and turns them around. Verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, Why does thy wrath wax hot against thy people that thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt? Moses thus refuses the Almighty's offer of him fathering a nation, of becoming the new Abraham. It was familial love of Israel, connection to Abraham, that drew Moses to his mission. And giving up on that love to found a new family, all his own, was unthinkable to Moses. On Sinai, originally, speaking from the burning bush, God had introduced himself to Moses as the God of Moses' fathers. And he sought to remind Moses of his familial bonds with him. Now again on Sinai, Moses does the same to God. And God relents and refrains from destroying Israel. But true forgiveness has not yet been granted. And even Moses cannot hold back his anger entirely. Verse 19. And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved upon the tablets. 
And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. Rabbinic tradition celebrates Moses for his actions in this moment. There is one Jew, however, who did not approve, Sigmund Freud, who thought that Moses was wrong to give in to anger. Freud was obsessed with Michelangelo's statue of Moses in Rome. He sat for some time before it and wrote an essay about it. And Freud argued that Michelangelo gives us a Moses that clutches the tablets to himself, refusing to break them, that the artist actually changes the story in Exodus. Or as Freud put it, quote, Michelangelo has placed a different Moses on the tomb of the Pope, one superior to the historical or traditional Moses. He has modified the theme of the broken tablets. He does not let Moses break them in his wrath, end quote. Personally, ladies and gentlemen, I find Freud's thesis preposterous and fascinating. Preposterous because I cannot believe that the statue made for the tomb of a pope would reverse the story found in Scripture. Fascinating because Freud is so convinced that this is true that I'd love to do a Freudian analysis of a man who would come up with such an interpretation. But Freud is wrong, artistically and theologically. Rabbi J.H. Hertz eloquently summarizes the traditional Jewish view when he notes that unlike a child's petulance, what we see here in Moses is, quote, the moral feeling of indignation that sweeps over us whenever we see a great wrong committed, not because it injures us, as is always the case in anger, but because the wrong is an outrage against justice and right, end quote. Moses breaking the tablets is a moment approved, embraced by Jewish tradition. And it is often assumed that this is the moment that Rembrandt gives us in his painting, for he shows us Moses holding aloft the tablets. But in Rembrandt's version, Moses does not appear all that angry. Let us go further in the story to find out if there is perhaps another scene in Scripture that also matches Rembrandt's great work of art. The shattering of the tablets marks the continued rupture between Israel and God. Israel will survive, but God still refuses to dwell among them. Moses continues his audacious advocacy in chapter 32, verse 32. Now if thou wilt forgive their sin well and good, but if not, erase me from thy book which thou hast written. Moses is essentially saying to God, I am only here because of the claim that the story of this people makes on my life. If they are not to be forgiven, leave me out of this story. Paradoxically, in arguing with God, Moses reveals why God chose him. The same man who risked himself for his brothers when they were threatened by the Egyptians is also willing to sacrifice for them when they are threatened by God himself. Heroes in pagan antiquity are meant to grasp greatness offered by the gods. From that perspective, if the divine offers to destroy Israel and make Moses into a nation, he ought to eagerly accept. But for sacred scripture, It is the opposite. Moses, in refusing greatness, becomes great. And he, as it were, helps thereby reveal the truest, heretofore unknown, love and grace of God. For God does forgive, and the tablets are forged anew. Chapter 34, verses 1 and 4. And the Lord said unto Moses, Carve for thee two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write upon the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which thou didst break. And he hewed two tablets of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. 
and took in his hand two tablets of stone. For Jewish tradition, Moses ascends Sinai with the second set of tablets on the first day of the month of Elul and descends with them 40 days later on what now every year is Yom Kippur. It is therefore both an eternal day of atonement and the day on which we remember the law being given again. Thus, law is tied to love and forgiveness. Michael Wishagrod once commented that while free will and responsibility are central to Judaism, nevertheless, as I think he put it, no Jew walks into synagogue on Yom Kippur and says, God, give me exactly what I deserve. And that, I think, is precisely the point. Some see law and love as being in tension with one another. For Jews, however, the Torah, the tablets, re-gifted on Yom Kippur, is simultaneously an embodiment of obligation and of grace. Because the covenant has been forged in God's forgiveness, therefore law itself becomes a symbol of love. Thus, at this moment, Moses achieves a greatness that was unattained even at the original Sinai revelation. Without Moses beseeching on our behalf, the covenant would be non-existent and Israel would be non-existent. Abraham founded us, but only Moses saved us and allowed us to receive the Torah again. That, in part, is why he is the greatest Israelite of all. Thus does a notion of heroism emerge utterly unlike that in the ancient world. Hercules becomes great through his physical feats, Romulus through his conquest, Sargon his kingship. Moses is the opposite. In refusing the greatness God offers him, he becomes great. In remaining part of his people, he thereby truly becomes their leader. And in bringing about God's forgiveness, Moses then radiates the light of the divine. Exodus 34, 29. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, when he came down from the mount, that Moses knew not that the skin of his face sent forth rays of light. The Hebrew here is kikaran or panav. The Vulgate Bible took the word karan to mean horns because in Hebrew karan is horn, which leads to the horns on Michelangelo's Moses at the tomb of Pope Julius II in Rome. But this is not what the verse means at all. For Jews, as Simon Shama once pithily put it, the difference between Rembrandt and his predecessors can be seen above all in the fact that, quote, Michelangelo's Moses has horns, Rembrandt's does not, end quote. Karan or Panav is most accurately rendered as Moses being unaware that his face was shining, that it was radiant. This is exactly how Rembrandt reads it. As Shama notes, if you study his depiction of Moses descending the mount, clutching the tablets, the very darkness of most of the scene on the canvas, quote, only makes such light as there is shine with greater intensity, end quote. Rembrandt, Shama writes, further hints to the common misunderstanding about Moses' horns by euphemizing that tradition, quote, transforming the actual excrescences that were commonplace in 17th century prints of Moses and the Ten Commandments into tufts of hair in the center of his pate, end quote. But, ladies and gentlemen, if Rembrandt is emphasizing how Moses' face shines, this, we know, occurs not when he breaks the first tablets, but when he restores the second. And this can hint to us that Rembrandt is not depicting Moses' moment of anger at Israel's idolatry. I therefore agree with Shama, who argues that what we are seeing in Rembrandt's painting is Moses' presenting Israel 
not with the first set of tablets, but with the second. Those granted as a sign of divine forgiveness. Rembrandt is thus giving us a moment of Moses' profound greatness. And with this in mind, the color of the canvas is noteworthy. Rembrandt presents us with a Sinai that is virtually a tawny brown monochrome, with, as Shama put it, quote, the figure of the prophet coarsely clad and rough cast as though extruded from the stone himself, end quote. This is striking because as many have noted, while the first set of tablets were given directly by God, the second set were carved by Moses, extruded by Moses, one might say, from the stone himself. Moses is told by the Almighty, carve on your own two tablets of stone. This second set was painstakingly crafted by Moses through human effort, and only then did God write the words of the Decalogue upon them. The first set of tablets was brought miraculously into being by the fiery finger of God, but the second set was made, at least in part, by Moses' 80 years of age, the extraordinary exertion of an octogenarian. This means that on Yom Kippur we are commemorating more than an episode of divine forgiveness. We are celebrating what the second set of tablets represents, the extraordinary capacity of human beings to carve their lives anew, to fix our flaws, to fulfill our obligations to God and each other. The tablets therefore teach us not only about atonement, not only about the joining of law and love, but also about our own moral capacity. We are the tablets. They remind us of our ability to reclaim our often shattered lives, just as Moses recreated tablets after they had been shattered. This tale and Rembrandt's painting, therefore, point to the realm of greater human possibility. If Freud was intrigued by Michelangelo's Moses, I was equally obsessed with Rembrandt's. When I was traveling to Israel, I decided to stop over in Berlin just to visit the painting. I went to the Gemälde Gallery, studied the title given by the museum to the painting, and concluded that it was incorrect. Strolling the streets, I pondered what I had seen. I then hailed a cab and traveled to the airport, to El Al, for the flight to Israel. I had a one-way ticket from Berlin to Tel Aviv, which was perhaps why. I was flagged for further questioning by the LL security agents. As I recall, the interview went something like this. She said to me, Hebrew or English? And I said, Mashat Madifa, whatever you prefer, showing off. This did not impress her and maybe only made her more suspicious. First question, do you live in Berlin? And I said, no, I live in New York. She asked, what do you do in New York? And I said, Ani mishamesh kerav shel beit knesset hasvaradit portugesit. I'm the rabbi of the Spanish-Portuguese synagogue. So she said, do you speak Portuguese? I said, no. Now she's really suspicious. This may be the worst alibi anybody has ever constructed in her experience. She asked, how long have you been in Berlin? And I said, a couple hours. Now I'm leaving. Lama Batala Berlin, she asked. Why did you come to Berlin? And I said, I came to see a Rembrandt. Now she perhaps thinks this is an incredibly unbelievable story. And so she says, you came to Berlin just to see a Rembrandt? So I took out my phone, I downloaded an image of the painting, and I said, this is not just a Rembrandt, it's Moshe Rabbeinu, this is Moses. And I was about to explain that some think that this is an image of Moses smashing the tablets, but really, it's the granting of the new set. And she said, just go back in line. She was not going to listen to a rabbi's speech, ladies and gentlemen. And I thought to myself, maybe she doesn't want to hear about it. But the truth is, is there anything in the world that better embodies Moses' tablets, tablets lost and tablets restored, the 
the strength of the human spirit than to be standing in Berlin boarding an El Al plane to the state of Israel. What more aptly captures our capacity to recreate, to carve again, tablets of Jewish life? The granting of the tablets on Yom Kippur is perhaps the greatest moment in Moses' life. And I am grateful to my teacher, Rabbi Rembrandt, for allowing me to experience it anew. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.